Welcome back to the SBS Sports Talk Show presented by the Sports Business Society at UVA. I'm Michael Rockless along with my co-host Nick O'Connor and tonight we're going to update everyone on the NBA playoffs. We're going to talk a little bit about the NFL schedule which is going to be released on Thursday as well as a big move that happened this past week in the NFL and then we're going to talk about which position would you rather be in in the NFL draft? A lot of picks and not a great team or a lot less picks and a little bit more formidable of a team. Make sure you listen to this at 1.5 times speed. Hit it. All right, it's good to be back. Uh, let's just go right in, start with the NBA playoffs. Um, as we sit here, as we record this, the Toronto Raptors going down the list are up 2-0 on the Washington Wizards. The Cleveland Cavaliers just tied up their series with the Pacers 1-1. The Celtics are up 2-0 on the Pacers, or the Celtics are up on the Bucks, and the Sixers and Raptors are tied 1-1, and the Western Conference still waiting on some games in the uh, games twos to finish, uh, but we have the Warriors up 2-0, uh, the Pelicans up 2-0, and then currently the Thunder and the Rockets are up 1-0. So what have been your initial takeaways um, through the first couple games of the playoffs? Yeah, I think we can start off by definitely the most surprising game was the Pacers beating Cleveland um, in Cleveland. Um, I mean, it's just an astonishing feat, um, you know, pretty much just dominating that game. Victor Oladipo just absolutely taking over. Um, I mean, my thoughts on that game were just, I was astonished. I mean, I was not, what I was, you know, suspecting at all. I think we talked in our podcast last week. I don't think that was even one of the series we thought was going to be remotely close. Um, just because of LeBron's past dominance, especially in the early rounds. Um, I think this, what this is indicative of is you see a stronger, um, stronger playoff teams this year, um, than definitely in previous years in the Eastern Conference. Um, you know, Pacers being that five seed, very strong five seed. Then you go down that list, six through eight, um, a bunch of strong teams as well. Um, but again, I think it comes down to Victor Oladipo just absolutely taking it over and being the best player on the floor. Yeah, before we get back to the Pacers, you, you're really calling the Bucks and the Wizards strong teams. They don't look strong. They don't. Me. Okay, Wizards do not look very strong right now, but they do have the talent level. I think Bucks, you know, the coaching just really isn't there. But again, you know, with trying to something Kumbo. You know, some good role players, Malcolm Brogdon. Um, again, very strong. I would say strong teams in terms of past Eastern Conference teams, six through eight. Usually they're like below 500 or you just, you know, their best players, you know, not very good. Yeah. All right. Well, back to the uh, the Pacers. Uh, so they obviously took game one. They blew the Cavs out. Um, pretty surprising, as you said. I feel like, you know, maybe they caught the Cavaliers a little bit off guard. You know, they've been to the finals three years in a row now. The expectation is they'll get there again. Um, so they came in, you know, they, they really just took over the game early and, and didn't give up that lead, which was impressive. But as we saw um, in tonight's game, you know, LeBron comes out of the gate, scores, you know, the first 13, 16 points of the game, basically, for Cleveland. You know, I, I still am not worried about the Cavs. I don't think this is a series LeBron is going to let his team lose. He's still just good enough to, you know, in a series against a non-dominant team like the Pacers, uh, he's just not, he's just going to prevent his team from losing single-handedly. They might have lost Kevin Love for the postseason tonight, may have broken his hand. We'll see what happens there. Looked pretty bad. I, LeBron still going to win the series, still going to win the East, in my opinion. Really good bounce-back performance from them. They did blow a little bit of a lead there, were able to eke it out late. But at the end of the day, I mean, we are, you're seeing just by far the best player in the conference, and they should not have a problem finishing off this series, even if it's a little bit tighter than we initially thought. But I think this was scary is, you know, we were watching this, you know, tonight's game, um, and LeBron was shooting about like 75%, um, just making all of his shots. He really couldn't seem to miss. 
I mean, it was still a tight game. It was three point, you know, three point game with 30 seconds left. Um, they weren't able to close it. And so you can't really rely on LeBron to shoot 75%, 65%, you know, these very high percentages every single game. Nah, he can do it, man. He, he can, it's possible. Can which it. It's not likely that he's going to shoot those percentages, though. So then it's, you know, who's the next guy that's going to step on the Cavs? We just lost Love, potentially. Um, you know, who's the other guy? You know, there really hasn't been, um, you know, that production from players like Jeff Green and George Hill that, you know, I think the Cavs were hoping for. Yeah, no, nah, that's fair. I mean, it could be a concern for them down the road. Um, I just do not see them losing, especially the Pacers. And then, I mean, their next round. But you're going be... into Indiana these next two games. Right, but I, it's still, it's LeBron against Indiana. I, mm-hmm. I see LeBron being able, you know, they go down 1-0 at home. And it's very obvious going into this game. Um, I wish I took a prop bet on how many points LeBron James would score. But, you know, it's very obvious, like, all right, LeBron's just not going to let them lose. He comes out of the gates. You know, he scores the first 13 points of the game. I mean, I think you're going to see that now. Yes, they didn't, you know, they did have the lead wire to wire. But, yes, it wasn't as convincing as the start was. But at the same time, to me, it's just it's going to be really hard for a team like the Pacers to usurp the LeBron and the Cavaliers. I think it's going to take a much higher caliber team to knock off even, you know, a pretty banged up uh you know, not great team in the Cavs. As long as LeBron is there, I think that's good enough to get past, you know, some of these, you know, good but not great teams. No, I agree. I think it will be a close series. I think we've definitely seen the first two games be very close. Um, I'm hoping that's what the rest of the games are like. Um, I think definitely the other surprise that we've seen is the Pelicans Blazers. Um, Pelicans winning those first two games. Um, Again, without Boogie, I don't think people were expecting much from Pelicans. But I think the way they closed that season, um, you know, people looked at them and they they saw that Drew, you know, Drew Holiday and Anthony Davis, um, you know, they have some seriously talented players. Yeah, they've definitely been the biggest surprise uh, of the postseason so far. Maybe besides the Pacers, um, if you want to include them. But I mean, you know, those two guys you mentioned, Davis and Holiday. The other guy, a couple guys you can mention for them, Rajon Rondo, mm-hmm. who you know it seems like every year in the playoffs. Um, as much as you want to criticize him in the regular season or just his game as a whole in the playoffs the last two years, he's been an absolute catalyst for some upsets. Uh, last year with the Bulls, he, as the eight seed, they went in and won two games on the road against the one-seeded Celtics, and then he got injured, and then they lost the rest of the games in that series. This year, he comes in paired with Drew Holiday, two really good defensive guards, at least they're playing that way, um, and those guys are just hounding Lillard and McCollum, and, and right now, you know, the this trio or the foursome of Davis, Drew Holiday, Rondo, and Miritich is better than any, you know, trio, duo the Blazers can come up with. I think it's that simple where not only are you getting the stops on Lillard and McCollum that you need because you're getting great guard defense from Holiday and Rondo, but then you also have the extreme mismatch that is Anthony Davis. And right there, you have a real problem for the Pelicans who find the, or the, the Trailblazers, excuse me, that find themselves down 2-0, needing to win four out of the next five games with three of those games being on the road, it's a very, um, you know, steep mountain to climb for them at this point. I mean, the Pelicans have them, and the Pelicans are in a great spot. Yeah, no, I agree. I think both definitely both surprises in the Western and Eastern Conference. Um, after these first couple of games, do you change any of your first-round picks yet? Well, I'm picking the Pelicans with hindsight. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, 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 doubt, I think it's... You don't I, think the Blazers have a chance to come back? You know, after game one, I was fairly confident that we were going to see something similar from the Blazers that we saw from the Cavaliers tonight, which is come out hot, you know, get a big lead, you know, either blow them out or hold on to it late. Um, they didn't do that. I mean, they were up. They were played better in game two than they did in game one, but they still couldn't hold them off at the end of the day. And I just think uh, going on the road down 2-0 is a really uh, tough task uh, for them, you know, they're not a significantly better team than the Pelicans. I mean, they might be slightly better, but it is a bad matchup. And then I'll also say one other series that I want to say is a complete wrap is the Raptors and the Wizards. I don't, yeah. I don't see the Wizards. Even if the Wizards... Now, I mean, we're going to the game on Friday, but 
The Wizards, they can win their home games. They won all their home games in the playoffs last year, uh, the three against the Celtics and the, the ones they played against the Hawks in the first round. So they can win all their home games, but what good is that going to do them when you don't have home court advantage because you're the eight seed? I don't see them winning in Toronto. Uh, they just haven't played good defense. They haven't been able to get the stops when they needed them. It's just offense, getting buckets for them is harder than it is for Toronto. And a series that we you might have predicted the Wizards in, I think was I said was more of a toss-up. I think it's, it's all Toronto. I mean, we had our bias maybe clouding us there, but it's looks like Toronto's going to yeah, win. Yeah, no, definitely after you've seen these first two games, I agree. I, it's definitely Toronto's winning this series. Um, I, I was, you know, I was incredibly wrong. I thought the Wizards would be able to turn around come playoff time. Um, but again, I think having that end of the regular season momentum, I think we've seen in this playoffs, ha- does have a big effect, especially, especially in the first couple games for the playoffs. You know, you see Pelicans playing really well, Thunder playing really well. Um, as a team, I think they were up, you know, when we stopped watching tonight. Um, no, we'll, we'll see about that game. We'll see it's about close, that game. Close, but again, yeah. won, won the first game. So yeah. um, looking good. Um, but again, you know, the Wizards not being able to beat the Magic for that final game. I think that, you know, is definitely looming over them in this series. Um, they cannot just, they can not play defense. They cannot stop anyone. Um, yeah, and we just checked, you know, Thunder up four right now. Um, but again, you know, just, I think it's indicative that, you know, how you finish the regular season does have somewhat, somewhat of an impact uh, on how you start playing in the postseason. Yeah, I, I maybe. Yeah, I, I, for the Wizards, I mean, I think the bigger impact on them is not that they lost that last game. It's more that they got stuck playing the Raptors instead of the Celtics. Now, the Celtics playing very well, but, I mean, the Bucks are another team where the talent is probably there. I mean, Giannis is, you know, one of the top 10 players in the league and they have other, you know, solid players like a, uh, like a Chris Middleton or uh, Bledsoe. Bledsoe maybe. Yeah. Uh, Brogdon, we, we obviously like, but you know, they just, they're just getting out, outmatched by Brad Stevens. And the, I mean, Terry Rozier is getting whatever he wants on Eric Bledsoe. Um, Horford's obviously playing well. So I think the big thing for the Wizards was, you know, they, they just couldn't get up to that, that 17 matchup, which, you know, at the end of the day is irrelevant because I, at the way they're playing, I don't know if they would have beaten the Celtics, um, but you know, it's but in this just, series, it's not really the Raptors are just so much more talented than the Wizards. That's not what it looks they're like. Not, they're not. They're just a the much better team. They just are just playing so much better. Yeah, I mean, so it team. seems like the Wizards don't care, and like they just for some reason cannot play defense. And then on the offensive end, they just can just not get anything going. Yeah. Um, and well, it's not just a, it's not a function of the talent level, which nah. is just that's so disappointing, um, especially as a Wizards fan. Yeah, I mean. You know, that's a series that it's just, it is what it is. They're the eight seed. Wallace hurt most of the year. You know, you'd, you'd hate to give up a year like that, but, you know, it is what it is for them. And, you know, unless they can really turn things around, sweep at home, and then steal a game on the road, it's definitely not going to happen for them. But then the other series in the East, the Miami Heat got blown out uh, by the Philadelphia mm-hmm. 76ers in game one, responded with a vintage D Wade game in game two, basically won that game all by himself, put up like 28 points, only missed a shot or two the whole game. Um, and now they have home court advantage. Do you think, do you see any way that the heat can uh, pull off the upset in that series? Yeah, I think it's very possible. I think we both had uh, Sixers, you know, going through this matchup. Um, but I think what we forgot about is Dwayne Wade and I, you know, to have this impact in the second game, I think it's truly incredible. Um, you know, it just makes me remember, you know, back in his early days when he was able to do this consistently, um, you know, because he's been banged up for these last couple of years, um, you know, he's fell off the map, but, um, it's great that he's been able to perform like that. And then, you know, he has all the players around him, Goran Dragic, Hassan Whiteside, um, Whiteside's not giving him anything though. Exactly. Which is, you'd hope, you know, in the, uh, in the future games, he'll, you know, start to turn up, but, um, again, you know, some very good players around him. Um, and I can definitely see this series going six or seven. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really have a preference right now. Yeah, I, I think the Sixers are going to find their way back to it. Um, obviously, you know, young team, they come off hot, win that home game behind their fans. I think the big question is Embiid. You know, if, 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 if he can right. come back, I think he's doubtful for game three. Yeah. If he can come back, um, you know, that when he comes back healthy and play full minutes, 
Um, I do think that will be a lopsided matchup with right. the Sixers, but again, he's a key part to that. Yeah, even without Embiid, I mean, it's not completely ridiculous that they would have lost, you know, one of those two mm-hmm. home games, you know, as the young and experienced team, and you run up against Dwayne Wade, who, you know, is motivated, in shape, able to put, you know, like a vintage performance on you. That'll happen. Um, you know, Sixers shot very poorly from three, I think seven for 36. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I, I mean, personally, I see the uh, the Sixers being able to rebound, uh, respond to some adversity here. Maybe when they get Embiid back, that will certainly help. If they're able to win one of the next two in Miami, they'll get their swagger back. They'll probably mm-hmm. win game five at home, and then they just need to win one of the next two, and, and they'll be advancing. So I'm not super worried for them, but game three is a big one because if they do go down 2-1, I'm sure they'll start feeling the pressure. Yeah, a bit, another big injury news is potentially with Curry. I don't know if you've heard about about that coming back but, round two well he's round two but i think kerr is now indicating that it might be a couple weeks uh or, or even longer um so they're not quite sure the extent of that entry um but let's say curry potentially is out for the rest of the playoffs Uh-oh. um if it's the severity of that um or at it's least not that bad though don't it's not gonna be that bad really okay, I, I mean, i'm pretty sure but we could it could, say it could, could be espn reporting but the hypothetical you know, but hypothetical you know if he's not playing versus a team like the rockets um how much does that decrease their chances in that game and that series would be a pretty big deal. I would say the only team that they could face where if Curry's out, I would think it, they might lose is the Rockets. Mm-hmm. I think any other team, as great as Curry is, and he's arguably the best player on that team, um, for that team specifically, the way that he helps everyone else out, you know, just spreads the floor, allows everyone else to get better looks and creates opportunities. Um, still, I mean, they probably wouldn't lose to any other team in a, in a seven-game series. Um, but, you know, if he was out against the Rockets, it'd be a big deal. But let's be honest, the Rockets, um, you know, they've only played one game that we've seen so far. Um, and they didn't play particularly well. They snuck out a three-point win at home over the Timberwolves. Um, you know, I they don't scare me. I, I really think that Golden State is good enough where if Curry were to be out, which I don't think he will be that by that late, um, and I, they might, they're going to get the luxury of a pretty good matchup for them with the Pelicans or Blazers yeah. um, regardless. But if he were to be out, I still think they'd have a very good shot to, to take out the Rockets and then whoever wins the East. Yeah, no, I think it's just the talent level outside of Curry with Durant, Durant Clay Thompson. Yeah. It's just, you know, you have arguably, you know, a top, I th- in my opinion, a top two player in the world right now with Kevin Durant. Um, yeah, you know, probably, sure. I think, you know, most people consensus is, you know, him and LeBron probably right. the top two in the world right now. Um, you know, having, well, LeBron won Durant too. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a <laughs> gen- generous to say he's top two. I mean, he is top two, yeah. but he's the second. We're gonna we're limit the NBA talk for today because uh, we don't want to get into that. That could that could last an hour. Um, but we'll go into some NFL news um, with the NFL draft. It is coming up next week. Well, first, the big news was on I believe over the weekend. Uh, beloved member of the NFC East division, uh, Des Bryant, wide receiver for the Dallas Cowboys, was cut by Jerry Jones and the Cowboys. Uh, you know, not a huge Des Bryant guy. I've been saying for years that a Doug Baldwin receiver is a little bit more valuable than Des. Des obviously had his moments with Tony Romo, uh, but now he will be looking for a new home come the 2018 season. Does this move have any meaning to you at all? None at all. None at all. No. You, don't, you don't think Des is good? I, I never, I mean, I think in the past, like, you know, couple years, I mean, he's made some big catches you know big catches in the past or but, some big non-catches um, in, in my mind i just in general i just don't think the wide receiver position is that valuable i think if you have a good system a good offense um you can plug in you know average guys and they can still have a great production i just think the wide receivers position they can make some big plays you know julio jones 
um, you know, Antonio Brown. You have a bunch of big wide receivers that can make some big plays. But at the end of the day, if you run your routes, um, you can get open. And I just don't think the wide receiver position is as, as valuable as Des Bryant might make it out to be. Yeah, no, that's true. And he got paid a lot of money, and his production wasn't there, wasn't getting the same separation that he did earlier in his career. Dak Prescott's probably not the best quarterback to be throwing him the football. Uh, you know, Dak isn't the best down-the-field thrower. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it was a logical move for the Cowboys. Actually, props to them for, you know, cutting ties with someone who obviously adds a lot of value to their brand, mm-hmm. um, just kind of for the notoriety that he brings. But, you know, just kind of an interesting move going into the into the draft. I think Cowboys fans probably took that one kind of hard. I think they generally yeah. like Dez, and, you know, he's a very popular NFL player. But at the I, end I think the, the smart Cowboy fans, though, realized that that was the best move for yeah, them. Yeah, uh, they didn't, the but run. the thing was they didn't offer him a pay cut, which, yeah. you know, obviously he was overpaid. If you look at just his production compared to his contract value, there's no way that he was deserving of the money that he was getting paid. Um, but, you know, to not offer him, you know, a pay cut, you know, kind of shows, you know, that they really didn't see much value in Dez mm-hmm. Bryant at all. Which... And, I, and I'm glad because, I, you know, we've seen teams in the past that have just held on to stars for way too long, you know, way past their heyday, and they don't really have that production anymore. But because they have that notoriety um, and the light, you know, the likelihood of the fan base and stuff like that, um, you know, they don't really get cut. But, you know, I, and at the end of the day, you know, wide receiver needs to show up and have that production. Yeah, that's that's for sure. All right, we'll see. Maybe uh, he ends up on a team that plays Dallas this year. He said it was going to be a team that plays Dallas twice, which would insinuate the Eagles, which is not going to happen, the Redskins or the Giants, which probably won't happen. Um, but we'll see there. But that is a good segue into uh, the next thing we wanted to discuss, which is the NFL is releasing the playoff schedule tonight, Thursday, uh, for the 2018 season. Um, so they're going to be releasing the whole thing, you know, the primetime games, the Thursday night, Sunday night, Monday night, uh, start planning out, you know, the wins and losses for teams. I mean, the teams that everyone's facing is already known. Um, but are there any games um, initially? We, we have a list here of some of the better games uh, coming out this season. Are there any games that really pique your interest as, you know, one of the games that you're really looking forward to and hope it gets a big primetime showing? Yeah, no, I think as a Saints fan, definitely the, um, you know, Saints versus the Vikings. Um, I think that's going to be an extremely exciting matchup. Um, you know, I think Saints coming off uh, another year of preparation where their young guys can, you know, get even better. Um, it's going to be a very exciting game. Um, you know, the Vikings, again, you know, just a very strong team. Um, I expect just a great showing for that. Um, as an Eagles fan, what, what is your favorite game you're looking forward to? Well, I mean, if I were to say my, my favorite game is obviously going to be an Eagles game. And I, I mean, the Eagles play a couple really good teams this year, as you know, all the first place teams do. The Saints, you know, also in that, that boat is a first place team. Um, so I, for me, the biggest Eagles game, I think, is going to be when they go at the Rams. Um, of course, we don't know when that game is, but that was the game Carson Wentz got injured last season was at the Rams. Um, definitely going to be a primetime game or a big Sunday afternoon game where they basically clear out everything for this game because the Rams are reloaded. Um, and the Eagles, you know, are obviously defending their title. A lot of Eagles fans out in Los Angeles. So that one will be extremely, extremely exciting. And besides that, I mean, I, I do like that Saints, um, that Saints-Vikings game. I know, uh, Saints-Rams as well. You know, just again, a bunch of the strong teams in the NFC playing each other. I think it's always just going to be exciting. Um, whether that's Eagles, Rams, Vikings, Saints, you know, Packers, Falcons, you know, all these teams that are up there. Um, I think every single one of those games is going to be exciting. Yeah, I would say one I am looking forward to um, is Green Bay playing New England this year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, obviously the 
two best quarterbacks in the NFL, uh, Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady. I want to say that they have only played each other once that I can remember. I think there was one year that the Packers played the Patriots. Um, yeah, and Matt Flynn was the starter because Aaron Rodgers was hurt. So we've been robbed of, you know, this this really good matchup um, a couple of times. This has always been a pick of mine for the Super Bowl uh, that I've always wanted to see is Rodgers go against Tom Brady. So that game is definitely going to be a, just an absolute marquee showing where we're getting two of the, you know, Tom Brady, the most accomplished quarterback of all time, um, you know, and one of the best. And then Aaron Rodgers, who, you know, might be the most talented quarterback of all time. That'll be a fantastic, fantastic game. Um, and just generally, you know, excited to see, you know, some of the big games like the Texans are playing the Patriots and the Eagles this year. Mm-hmm. So those will be fun games. The Texans also playing Dallas, a little te- uh, Texas rivalry there should be should be a fun one. Um, and then, you know, the Jaguars are playing some good teams, too. They're back against Patriots as division champions, and then they'll be playing the Eagles in London this year, too. Yeah. So, you know, a lot of good games to look forward to on the slate. I feel like there's going to be, you know, at least one of those marquee games every week, which is exciting. Yeah, no, I'm definitely looking forward to, uh, you know, some of those younger teams um, that have a high, you know, um, high certain, of uh, you know, uncertain ability like the 49ers or, you know, a team like that, like the Browns, where, you know, there's a lot of moving pieces in play. Um, it'll be interesting to see, you know, if they could, you know, make some games close in some of those primetime games potentially. Yeah, and that's a good segue into uh, the last thing we wanted to talk about tonight was more along the lines of our hypothetical, which is, so there's two teams we're looking at in particular to kind of base this this off of, but it's would you rather be in a position like the Cleveland Browns where you have all the draft capital that your heart could desire, pick number one, pick number four, and I believe two picks in the second round, two picks in the third round, or would you rather be a team like the Houston Texans who has what you would think is your quarterback of the future, a couple of cornerstone defensive and offensive pieces in Jadavian Clowney, J.J. Watt, DeAndre Hopkins, but there are question marks there. No doubt they haven't made it to the AFC Championship game um, in their history, and obviously with Deshaun Watson, who only played a couple games last year, and then they have no draft capital. So if you're a fan of a team and you're looking at, okay, or if you're just building a team in general, I should rephrase, which scenario would you rather be in? Would you rather be in the, the scenario where, okay, I have what I think to be a franchise quarterback and some other great players, but, you know, I don't have the draft capital to really improve on that, or would you rather just have the clean slate, all this draft capital, and really have the chance to maneuver your way to to have them be in a great team? Oh, without a doubt, the Houston Texans. Um, I think to be in a position where you potentially have a franchise QB, um, you have again, like you said, you know, key, you know, defensive corners pieces, um, you know, Javion Clowney, um, JJ Watt. Um, I definitely, without a doubt, want to be in that position just because you never know it with the NFL draft. Um, when you're picking QB, when you're picking uh, any position, um, it's so hard to predict, you know, how that's going to translate to the NFL. Um, we've seen that every year. It's, you don't have every single QB, you know, pan out to be a great QB. That's never how it works. Um, it's usually only one or two per draft that usually have um, the talent and, 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 and have that level of transition into the NFL. Um, but you know, for the Browns, you know, especially just having that system of just losing every single year. Um, yeah, you have those draft picks, but you, you don't know how to win. You don't have a really good system in place right now. Um, and again, you just don't know what level of talent you're going to get from the NFL draft. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, you know, the Texans, a lot of their future success comes down to Deshaun Watson, mm-hmm. his health, his ability to regain the form he had for the couple games he started as a rookie. But just to play devil's advocate here, I think the Cleveland Browns are going to be an extremely, extremely interesting team, um, especially for this draft, which is coming up, you know, a week from Thursday when this comes out um, and then beyond. Uh, because 
with the number one pick, I'm getting a little bit worried that they're not going to make the right decision and draft uh, Sam Darnold, which would be the right decision, and instead <laughs> go with Josh Allen um, and then let Sam Darnold go to the New York Giants. I'm getting worried that they're going to do that. But let's just say that they get who I think is going to be the better quarterback, Sam Darnold, or let's say they draft Josh Allen and it works out. So you're looking at Josh Allen, and then you're looking at a cornerstone defensive piece. It doesn't look like Saquon Barkley is going to go there. It seems like he'd be very unhappy there, which is understandable. So let's say they're not even going to consider Saquon Barkley. So you end up with quarterback who's good, fourth overall pick, which is going to be the best non-quarterback taken in the draft, or probably the first non-quarterback taken in the draft. You know, maybe Sam Barkley goes, or Saquon Barkley goes number two to the Giants. Um, And then you still have draft picks down the line with, you know, bolstering that offensive line, bolstering that defense. I think if you're, if you really strongly believe in that quarterback at the top of the draft, you have the number one pick. I think there are a few teams that potentially are in a better position than the Browns, as crazy as that sounds. Yeah, but do the Browns really, even if they draft that elite QB, um, I think we've seen that if teams don't really have the offensive line, don't have the wide receiver weapons to support that QB and allow him to grow, um, it's tough to really see the results. So do you think the Browns um, have that system in place or can get that system in the draft? Their coaching is extremely questionable with Hugh Jackson. Uh, it's surprising that he still has a job uh, after the the work he's done there over the two years. They've won one game, and he's not really taking a ton of accountability for it. Um, so that's probably the most alarming thing. Now, I do think that they have you know a decent offensive line. They have Joe Thomas just retired, which is unfortunate for them. But their offensive line is definitely not one of the worst in the league. They do have some wide receivers with Corey Coleman, Jarvis Landry, who they just traded for. Can't forget him. Um, as well as Josh Gordon coming back. They have a tight end they just drafted last year, David Njoku. And they signed Carlos Hyde in free agency. So there is offensive weapons that is going to allow a quarterback to grow. Plus Tyrod Taylor is currently the starter. So they're going to be able to... Uh, have whoever they draft sit behind him for a year, let Tyrod Taylor get him, you know, six, eight, maybe 10 wins if things go really well for him. I'm saying it's a best case scenario, (laughs) literally a best case. But, you know, they're not going to be 0-16 with Tyrod Taylor. You hope not. Uh, Yeah, they'd really be on Hugh Jackson at that point. (laughs) But, but, I mean, I I think they do have a system in place where, you know, if they get that right guy, all it takes is getting that right guy Um, and you can turn things around in a heartbeat. Now, obviously, you know, there's really good coaching and, and ownership structure involved with a guy like a Carson Wentz or, you know, even a Dak Prescott, probably a little bit worse off uh, than Wentz was in that scenario. But, you know, you see that one guy come in and just in a blink of an eye change the fortune of a franchise. Um, and I think with Cleveland, if they draft the right guy, I, I think that's what could happen for them. I don't know if Hugh Jackson's going to be able to stick around for the long run, mm-hmm. but I think drafting a quarterback that gives them, you know, those intangibles and is able to make everyone in the uh, in the building, you know, feel a lot better about their prospects moving forward, that could have a huge impact. And quite frankly, you could get a quarterback that's better than Deshaun Watson, and you have the clean slate, and and you could be a really good team moving forward. Yeah, I think the biggest key word though is could, right? You could get you know QB better than Deshaun Watson. I think Deshaun Watson already. He proved I think it was four games that he played last maybe year even more, maybe yeah. a little more but again and even in those four couple games that he played um you know he showed he showed that he had that talent level um you know to be an elite QB um you know I think we even saw in the in that in that small glimpse um I think you know repeating that will be a question mark but again um you never know what you're getting in the NFL draft really with these QBs um you know all not all of them are going to be good but you know, it seems like you've already came up in your mind. You think Sam Darnold's the best by far? I'm, I'm willing to stake my claim, stake my my draft uh, position all on Sam Darnold. He will be the best quarterback from this class. Regardless of what team he goes to? 
Yeah, I think I think Sam Darnold would turn around the Cleveland Browns. Yeah, so you I think, think my my so think regardless any team that Sam Darnold goes to, um, and any team that any of these other QBs go to, that he will be the best QB in this in the draft class. Yeah, I, I would say so. I would take him. I mean, now is would I say the field, the odds of the field having any guy in the field be better than Sam Darnold? Is that like a high probability? Like, yeah, that's definitely a chance. But I would say like if I'm picking one guy, it's not even close. The intangibles are there. I, I really question the intangibles of a Baker Mayfield or a Josh Rosen. Um, and, you know, I, and just the talents there. Like, people worry about his interceptions. Who cares how many interceptions he throw in college? Um, I just think he's the kind of guy that's going to be able to turn around a team or slide into a team like the Giants if he falls to number two and, and really be uh, a very good passer down the road. Like, my prediction for him is if he goes to the Browns, he will make the playoffs as the Browns starting quarterback. I'm so confident that he would do that. Wow. Yeah, okay. I'm so confident that he would do that. Well, there might be a bet off, you know, off the <laughs> air here, you know, coming along with that, but that'll be interesting. Um, they got to draft the right guy though, because they, 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 they draft the wrong guy, then you know, then it's uh, and in your mind, how how good of a QB draft class is this? And you know, compared to you know, perhaps like other years, like uh, Andrew Luck RG three draft. Class. Yeah, that one was really interesting. Um, I, I mean, this one, you're, you're going to have five quarterbacks go in the first round of the draft. Um, I forget how many there was in the Andrew Luck RG3 one. It was maybe five in that one as well. But this might be the most like notable quarterback draft class. There's been a couple like the Andrew Luck RG3, I believe, like 2010 maybe. The, no, maybe 2012. I think 12, that was yeah, 12. Bit, yeah. um, and then there was the 2004 draft class with Roethlisberger, Eli Manning, and Phillip Rivers. And then there was the 1980 four draft class maybe with Elway, Marino, Jim Kelly, which was obviously a great quarterback class as well. This one's up there uh, for us. You think? For, yeah, yeah. In, in terms of what we've been around for, it looks really good. Now, you did have, you know, it's sneaking in in the Andrew Luck RG3 one was um, Russell Wilson not as hyped up going into the draft. You had the Jared Goff, Carson Wentz one with Dak Prescott snuck in there late, but also not as hyped up. But this one you're going to have potentially three quarterbacks go in the top three picks of the draft. Um, you're definitely going to have like three or four guys go in the top 10, and then you'll have a fifth guy go later on in the first round. It'll be very exciting to see where these guys land. Yeah. Now, if we're comparing to the RG3, you know, Andrew Luck draft class, though, you know, you know, with Andrew Luck and RG3 going 1-2, um, and, you know, both those guys really haven't been able to win, you know, I consistently, you know, RG3 basically not even playing anymore as a backup. Uh, is, he, is he backup? Still? He's a backup with the Ravens now. Ravens right now, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, our, you know, Andrew Luck, you know, con, you know, continuously, you know, getting injured um, and not, you know, having winning seasons. Um, you know, even with that talent that we saw in both those guys, I, I think we've seen that if you're not in the right system, you know, if you don't have a great offensive line that can protect you um, and other pieces like that, like having a great um, coach and things like that. Um, that you don't have that opportunity to succeed. Yeah, and that would ultimately be the worry for for Sam Darnold going to the Browns. Is like Andrew Luck is obviously extremely talented, and he's been able to get a ton out of the Indianapolis. Well, Colts. people called him a generational talent, and, and rightfully so. And, and he is. I mean, terrible coach with mm-hmm. uh, John uh, Chuck Pagano has been his coach. Terrible offensive line they put around him. Bad defense. Uh, the weapons have been all right with like a T.Y. Hilton. Um, at receiver, but just generally, like he has been the sole reason to carry that team, you know, to an AFC Championship game, yeah. to a couple ten win seasons. So they have made the playoffs when he's played, or at least been a viable yeah. team. But he hasn't been able to do anything where they've never threatened to win a Super Bowl with Andrew Luck, mm-hmm. and that's because of a lack of front office um, success and a lack of coaching success. That would be the worry for Sam Darnold. Is you know, 
going to the Browns, that's obviously like a, a huge concern that they're not going to be able to do the right things by him to, to allow him to be competitive. But that's where it comes back down to not only do you have the number one pick, which you could turn into, you know, a great quarterback, but you also have number four, which is going to be an elite defensive player if you want it, a Bradley Chubb to pair with Miles Garrett, a defensive back that's going to be a cornerstone of a defense uh minka fitzpatrick a denzel ward type player um and then you still have all of those other residual picks coming from the carson wentz trade you get a second round pick i believe there's a second round pick from the um from the texans trade for deshaun watson so there's so many picks that they have that you know they really should you colts came from a different spot of coming off the peyton manning era where they didn't have the assets the browns have the assets to really shape that team mm-hmm. around sam darnold or whoever they draft in that number one spot and if the coaching is there and the front office does does their job like this could be a dangerous team coming for, moving forward yeah and specifically with sam darnold you know last question um you know what do you think the best path is to take um, for him to allow, you know, to allow him to be the best QB that he can be. Is that, you know, sitting him the whole, a whole season? Is it sitting him half a season? Is it starting him right away? Um, I think we've seen different organizations take different pr- approaches. Um, what is your take on that? Yeah, I think an interesting uh, thing I saw is that the last quarterback to sit a full year or more and do really well, obviously Garoppolo is probably going to be in this category coming up, um, was Aaron Rodgers. So a mm-hmm. lot of these guys that have sat a full year have kind of struggled after that. Um, so I would probably lean more towards, you know, quarterback competition and training camp, him and him and Tyrod Taylor, um, whoever, you know, you, you probably lean Tyrod Taylor throughout that you play Tyrod for, you know, six, four or six, eight games. Uh, team's not going to be competitive for the playoffs. Most likely at that point, you definitely want to get Sam Darnold in there, uh, get him some experience. I think that was the Eagles original plan with Carson Wentz. Obviously they were offered a first round pick for Sam Bradford. So that expedited his timeline, which worked out very well for him. The experience he got in his first year was evident in his rise to being an MVP caliber player in his second year. So with that being said, I think it's extremely valuable for him to get on the field, uh, in year one for, you know, at least a handful of games, probably, you know, six to eight games at a minimum um, and then use that to help them moving forward. Yeah, no, I think bottom line, we are excited for this NFL draft. Um, We are excited for some of the teams like the Browns, um, Giants, Jets, um, you know, to see who they can get. Um, and what talent they can get, and then, you know, if those will be primetime matchups when we see the NFL schedule. Yeah, excited to see uh, what comes in the draft. I guess we'll be back next week, and we'll have one uh, episode before the draft, so we'll probably go into a little bit more depth on what we think is going to happen there. All right, everybody, thanks for listening, and we'll be back next week. Have a good weekend.